Welcome to the 8th episode of the GTM podcast. GoToMasters is a podcast where we interview the GTM leaders from today's most dynamic companies. The unique insights, hard-earned lessons, and innovative vision are the stories that we bring to you every week. I'm your host Adit, head of growth and demand gen at Everstates, and I'm super excited that you are going to be listening to this today. Today in our podcast, we have with us Rachel Laksamana, a GTM ops manager for Commodore Health and also who runs a flourishing career coaching business, The Limit DNA. Rachel, do you want to introduce yourself for our podcast listeners? Thanks so much, Adit. Um, yes, thank you for the, the brief introduction. As a go-to-market program manager, um, specifically go-to-market ops, I fell into this role just having worked in a variety of different positions um, that really support this function. I've held positions in engineering, technical sales, business development with a bonus of heavy marketing um, and product management, which ultimately landed me where I am today. My main function is cross-functional initiatives and they're mostly tied to an external launch. Um, so what I, what I personally touch in, in programs and projects are just as deep as it is wide. <laughs> um, I would also like to acknowledge uh, that being an entrepreneur has given me a unique angle in my success, especially as a coach. I project manage at a more involved and a more intense level um, in order to train my go-to-market stakeholders as we progressively take on bigger and more complex projects. That's quite a unique background for someone in program management. Uh, and I'll go back to the idea for this podcast, right? I want to share with Rachel as well some of her learnings. Uh, in general, like with me, I've been part of product management early on in my career before I moved into operations. And uh, one of the biggest learnings for me was how similar both fields were. So when I spoke with Rachel and realized that uh, she has transitioned from a product manager into a program manager in GTM Ops, that's when I, I realized there's someone who can, can actually speak about this transition. Uh, when I introspect, there's like five things, uh, like, you know, that feel are very common between product management and program management, things like understanding the market, being customer centric, uh, cross-functional collaboration, managing your stakeholders, and like, you know, having a data-driven framework-driven decision-making. And I think a lot of this is basically like, you know, you can apply to both worlds, right? So what I want to first ask you, Rachel, is how was this transition? Like how much of a similarity do you notice like, you know, between GTM ops and uh, product management or am I alone in this uh, similarity? <laughs> um, no, it's not. You're not alone in that similarity. I just don't think that most people have really thought about applying a product management mindset to program management and to project management at the go-to-market ops level. Um, and if you come from product management, awesome. Hi. Some of these concepts are definitely going to resonate with you. But um, my transition was actually smoother than anticipated. Um, most of the reason is because both of the roles that I had held in go-to-market ops before I moved into the commercial uh, team was really within product. Uh, many people thought that this role belonged in product in some way, shape, or form. And I do believe that there is a way that it can work. However, um, a lot of the influence, I think, 
is is important at that commercial level. Um, so it was a little bit smoother because I did have good rapport with those product managers. Um, I like to call them my besties, um, just because you know we're we have fun. Uh, we we kind of. Uh, you know, uh, I guess care about the same things uh, around the product. We we spoke the same language, um, so that transition from product management and being in the product management org into um, you know the commercial program management was was pretty smooth. But when I made that transition into the uh, commercial organization, I just want to be really clear: I was the very first go-to-market um, operations project manager that was hired. So I kind of had to figure it out on my own um, and figure out my ecosystem on my own. Um, we had, you know, some really uh, interesting setups, some really interesting structure, different than the last company. Because as you know, everyone's set up different. And even though their titles are, you know, the same or similar, they are, their roles can be very different or their responsibilities can very, be very different. The vocabulary that you use is very different. So I actually started learning about my ecosystem through a design thinking framework um, to really onboard myself. So I made some assumptions about my ecosystem um, and I wrote out you know, who I needed to talk to, what type of, I'm gonna call it customer interviews that I would need to do, even though they were all internal um, and started really just asking questions like, Hey, how does this? How has this go-to-market process been? Um, you know, to date, uh, on a scale of one to one to five. Um, you know, how have you how have you experienced? Um, I guess like the satisfaction of the materials produced from this process. So, kind of just learning, um, you know, how things have been done in the past and trying to onboard myself through that. Um, so, again, I like to think about go-to-market ecosystem as your customers really in, in, in product management, because, you know, we, we've talked so much in product management about being so customer focused, but in reality, when you're a program manager, your customers are your internal people, right? Those are the people setting those requirements. Those are the people that will ultimately be using the materials that you develop. So, you know, some of the other similarities that, uh, that I, I think are, are important are, Again, the, the discovery work, which I just mentioned, um, validating, validation good, good, of good ideas, right? Um, requirements gathering, um, development, but in a slightly different way. Um, and then productionalizing, right? Because there are steps around productionalizing um, and they look different in the commercial lens, but it's, you know, it in my mind, they're they're one-to-one -one type, uh, type of activities there. Got it. First of all, I'm glad I'm not alone in noticing that. And I think what you said is a lot true, right? You have to treat like your GDM team is like your customer. You have to figure out a way to make them successful. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that means asking the hard questions so that like, you know, they're not uh, getting ahead of themselves and are more structured in their goals, right? And uh, what I notice usually is uh, like, you know, this is, very much true when it comes to DevOps or any sales operations is one of the core areas is change management because mm -hmm. the modern tech stack is always like you know it's changing right like there's a lot of new tech stack that's coming into the picture and all of these need to integrate with each other so whenever you're launching a new product a new tool or even a new region how do you like you know what do you approach what's your go-to framework for something like that 
I just have to say that I love the squishy and that's what I call it. The squishy. Some people call it the fluffy. Um, I love the, the, the people nature of project management and of go-to-market ops, because I truthfully believe that so much of what we do is relationships, connections, facilitating hard conversations. And at the root of that really is change management, right? How do we develop processes and sustainable processes so that we put ourselves in a position for growth and scalability. So one of the things that I think is really, really important for me to just kind of state outward is that I feel like I've used like this framework that I've learned from the Board of Innovation for you know pretty much anything that I've done from eight, about 18 months ago up until now and will continue to use. And uh, shout out to Heidi Heisel. She is my mentor um, in that area. And she's taught me so much. So really grateful to have worked with her. Um, but I think when it comes down to like change management, um, I like to start with a problem discovery and validation. Um, this is a, a product management um, type of concept. And I think this is oftentimes the step that is most missed. Um, my reason that I state this is that a lot of people will look at a problem and go, that's why that's not working. Oh, it's because of this. Oh, the root cause is this. And when in reality, like, is that actually the problem that we're facing here? Or is it a result of something else? Oftentimes, we don't know that it is a result of something else that's further systemic. So I go about any change management type of work with a, again, design thinking type of mindset. And I try to validate the assumptions that we have put forth. So if people say like, oh, this is the problem that we're facing and this is why, how can we validate that assumption through data, through um, anecdotes, through other types of validation tests and experiments to confirm that that's actually our problem before we move forward into solutioning something together. The second thing that I think people do well, though, um, is solution validation, right? Is they come up with solution, they socialize it with a variety of different stakeholders that will end up using their process or, you know, using that, that project or using the outputs of that project, right? So I think they do a good job solutioning that. However, we could be more intentional. So one of the things that I like to do, especially within um, program management, within go-to-market ops, is um, I will hold uh, focus groups for my sales team. I'll hold focus groups for my customer success team, my support team, um, to ask them, you know, hey, like we're thinking about, you know, this solution for go-to-market operations. Can you give us, you know, some insight? on, um, you know, your thoughts, right? So it's more targeted than that, but, you know, at a high level, that's, that's what we're doing. Um, I think also to like one of the, the product management, um, I guess, concepts that I want to touch on here with, with change management is pitching the business case. And I watched someone within my, uh, go-to-market stakeholder team kind of have like this aha moment when we were talking, um, we, we were we were talking about a sales team and like, okay, like, you know, do we want to get them involved? Do we not, we not want to get them involved, um, you know, based on their segment? And um, I said, well, you know, if we, if we kind of paint the picture for them of, of why, why this is important to them or why this is beneficial to them, then, you know, we, we stand a better chance of, of getting them involved and, and getting them excited about this change. And 
she looked at me she's like oh yeah I guess I've never thought about that before yeah like you know pitch your business case like why is this project good for everybody why is this process change good for everybody so you're also kind of like in a little bit of a sales position which you know they teach you in product management like yeah you have to be the salesperson of your product right like you are like the entrepreneur of your product um and then just other things like you know that we've that we that we know that we do well right like in in program management is um, gathering our requirements, developing those timelines, um, developing materials that are meaningful and going to be used by people, right? So we're not just developing things just for the sake of developing things. And they're not just informational. How does it apply to me? And how does it work for me? Um, and then finally, activation of the team, right? So you want to go from like a strategic angle and also a tactical angle. So your strategic angle is your narrative. How many phases are you going to be rolling this out in? What's the timing of those phases? Are we giving the teams enough time to digest this information? And then on the tactical side of the thing, uh, tactical side of the project, um, you know, you have your communications, your training sessions, your follow-up sessions, and making sure that you're updating your materials as you go and as you're getting feedback. Right. So kind of operating on that agile uh, mindset. Oftentimes we create materials and they just end up out in the world, right? And we it, it's it's hard to go back and continue to update them unless you have these large teams that are able to do so, right? So how do we how do we continually activate those materials and monitor those materials um, so that we're we're continuing to make them valuable for those team members? Um, and I kind of already jumped into this, but measure measurement and monitoring not only of those materials, but also of success. Because ultimately, when we when we launch something, we look at it and we're like, oh, it's out there. It's out in the marketplace. Great. Awesome. Good job. And yes, you can tie dollars to it, but also there's other markers of success. Customer satisfaction, your team satisfaction, um, the utilization of that product or that data or that platform, whatever, whatever you're launching, right? That service. But there are so many other metrics that you can gather and collect over time. And I think, too, you know, making sure that you have buy-in from your stakeholders on what is an appropriate amount of time to measure that success. And oftentimes, I see everyone get so excited about launching something and they want results like, you know, six weeks later. All right. How'd it go? How's the revenue? How's enablement? How's the utilization? And we haven't even like, you know gotten a sale in the door like we're still working on sales long long sales cycles complex sales cycles right so that being said you know setting those expectations is also important for change management allowing that time for the team to to fully activate it i think is also um another another thing that i think is important for change management because you know we we roll out our our uh software and it's not like in six weeks or, you know, expecting immediate, you know, uptake or immediate this or immediate that, right? Like we need some time to actually see how our users are, are um, enjoying the software, how they're, how they're utilizing it um, and how, you know, they may be using it in a different way than we even thought about it. Right. So I think all that again, kind of ties back to product management, but I love change management. It's a, it's a squishy stuff. <laughs> yeah. I can see that. Uh, like, you know, I'm, I'm a big, 
fan of how you are able to articulate all this uh, a lot of people do this in parts and bits but to be able to put them into narrative phases and particular timing uh, communication training sessions i think uh, it's it's wonderful playful but i think all of these processes and operations the question becomes this right there's a lot of people involved like it's not in isolation that you can put all of these plans like in product management they are going to be like your engineering leads devops leads your marketing teams and then in gtm it's going to be like you know your sales teams your sales leaders customer success your sales engineering teams so how do you like you know align them all towards something like you know a vision that you have on how something should work like what do you how do you go about that that's a great question so i mentioned earlier you know it comes down to what's in it for them right um so this is again we're having a sales background so as in technical sales for a little bit um i think it's really helpful right uh this this launch is going to help you hit your targets this launch is going to increase lead generation this launch is going to upskill you and you know make you a better customer success member of the team there are so many different ways that you can spin this um and depending on where your resisting party is at because you're always going to have a resisting party um i focus more of my narrative on that and um you know from my perspective i know some may disagree with this but i truly believe that there are meetings before the meeting that you get your buy in and so if you don't onboard people or teams individually into this before you kick it off then you're going to lose everybody pretty much immediately so um i i think like stop you that, that that's one of my go to techniques all the time is basically align everyone individually before you get them into a room where they start fighting like just align them up front on what it, what's in for them otherwise whatever project or whatever goal that you want to do it's mostly going to not work no that's exactly it that's exactly it and um you know it's it may take a little extra time but i do think that it's very very important for the success of the project right um and you know one of the things too like the support teams we we often forget right about the support teams about like you know what's in it for them like you know we we i i like to spend a lot more of my time like tailoring the messaging towards the support teams because ultimately they're the ones delivering on all of this and they're the ones that bear you know the the technical and operational type of work that's associated with each of the launches so you know focusing on on the process improvement that they're going to see within that launch as well um i think is going to be is is a key pillar for the way that i present this information so those are people like you know sales eng uh your your support engineering team your sales ops teams i mean anybody who's in a support function um that's where i like to spend my time is like how is this going to increase your efficiency or streamline the number of clicks that you have each day or reduce ticket times or you know reduce triaging right because you know that takes up so much time um so that's number one is what's in it for them um i also think it's important to have an inclusive decision making model this is a very democratized practice that i have um specifically because you know there's a strategy there are requirements there are you know deadlines that we need to meet but no one person's vision is exactly how it needs to be when it goes out to market so i like to lead with a lot of flexibility based on requirements and based on um again those focus sessions of like what's going to make this really successful 
So when I say that every single launch that I do is very, very unique, um, yes, we have like a framework and all of the things that we need to, you know, touch as far as like a checklist goes. But when I say like those assets look and feel different every single time, they truly do. Um, and it's because of that inclusive, inclusive decision-making type of model. Um, what I mean by this is that if, if there are requirements that are new or requirements that we've uh, previously not been, um, you know, fantastic at delivering to the team, I, I often ask the question of my stakeholders of like, how could we do this better? You know, like, how could we? So that we get everybody's input into it and come to kind of a decision of like, okay, you know, this, this looks like it, it would be a good path forward. And I like to offer in the perspective of, of testing things, right? So if we didn't do that last time, let's try to do something new this time, or let's take on this one extra thing this time um, so that we're constantly challenging ourselves and upskilling ourselves. Um, so it's inclusive decision-making and kind of like, you know, get, getting everybody feel like they're growing is really, really important to me um, to get these stakeholders engaged. Because again, if they feel like they're growing, if they feel like they're challenged in the right way, that is very, very impactful to everyone in their career development. A couple other like more tactical things though. So I run go-to-market standups. Um, I don't know how common that is in the industry, but Personally, it, it is not. It, it is, oh, it isn't? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, marketing teams do it separately, but sales is usually one-on-one -on -one and uh, stand-ups are more of the engineering world, right? Like where every day you meet. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, stand-ups, um, go-to-market stand-ups are like one of the things that I find very, very helpful uh, in the product, program management world. So I set up a weekly go-to-market meeting with all of my stakeholders, um, and then I kind of drive a couple work streams that are critical to strategy and operations um, personally so that I can kind of facilitate that. So um, typically that's our strategy team, uh, like BizDev, and then um, our product team. So our, our product managers, our senior product managers, et cetera. Um, but I truly believe that it is a go-to-market ops responsibility to help facilitate those conversations so that we're all marching towards that one goal, right? Like to be so deeply involved in these launches that, you know, you don't have any questions, you don't need to go follow up, right? Um, but I think, so number, so that I'm straying totally from this question right now, um, but go-to-market standups is really important. I also have a communication channel that I build. So whether you're using Slack or Teams or SharePoint or whatever, um, build a communication channel um, with your regularly updated project materials. Um, so for me, I think this is really, really impactful is that accountability is the number one thing. Accountability, transparency, vulnerability, creating a safe space for people to talk about the challenges that they have with their um, goals and, and with their work streams um, really does make the project go smoother because we can address challenges as they arise rather than, you know, waiting three weeks and figuring out that somebody has, you know, yet to meet their deadline um, because they are too nervous to share with the group, right? So everyone in on my team is required to be transparent with their deadlines and um, let us know, you know, hey, what competing priorities do you have? As a program manager, 
Um, I also kind of take on the responsibility of let me help you remove those barriers, right? Like who can I talk to on my end and who can I help, you know, with the reprioritization conversation on my end so that you can continue doing what you're doing yet your plate may suddenly free up because, you know, we've had a conversation with so-and-so and so-and-so and and told them like, Hey, this is the number one priority right now. So I think like from that perspective, um, you know, having those go-to-market standups, having that communication channel, um, and then just being responsible on facilitating the strategy and product conversations to keep us marching forward. Those are like the more tactical sides of the of um, what I would say is is uh, important to aligning people to that collective vision. And uh, I like how deep all of this is going. And uh, operations, there is also this pressure to be fast and be able mm-hmm. to deliver everything uh, to the needs of the business, right? And sometimes you just have to move fast. So how deep do you, like, you know, you mentioned you go a lot deeper than others you do, like, you know, your variety of experiences. So how do you, deep do you go in operations in general? And like, you know, how do you align everyone towards, like, you know, how do you coach them also to be with you on the same depth? So I think like, you know, from my perspective, the worst thing that can happen is someone throwing something over the wall. And I've heard that phrase so many times. Oh, I just throw it over the wall of marketing or, oh, I just throw it over to sales or, oh, I just throw it over. And it's not like one company They're Like this is across the board. Like I've seen this at the other companies that I've worked at. Um, I've seen it through a portfolio of other, you know, softwares that I've worked with. Like it's people throw things over the wall, expecting there to just be instant understanding and instant collaboration when in reality, that's not it. And so in in my perspective, coaching is needed to get everybody on the same page. Typically, we've worked in silos or you know companies have worked in silos, and they only know what they know. They only know what applies to them. And so if we throw something over the wall for the wrong audience, that's where things get really messy, and that's where coaching's needed. So having worked in these roles, um, especially like, you know, on the service side, especially on engineering side, product management, um, sales, you know, I feel really comfortable going in at a level deeper than uh, what's required, uh, just because I'm kind of fearless in that regard. Um, But once you get in the habit of doing it, uh, you just, it's not really that hard to jump in elsewhere, right? Like, you know, I've got this lifelong learner mindset um, where I just think it's really important to continue to challenge yourself. And if it's an area that you don't know much about, it's not your lived experience, right? So I always used to feel like a little ashamed, like, oh, I don't have finance experience or, oh, I don't have legal experience or, oh, I don't have this, right? And so I would get nervous to like ask those questions because I was like, oh, I don't want to seem like, you know silly or I don't want to seem, you know, uh, like I don't know enough. But in reality, I'm just adopting that lifelong learner mindset because it's it's not my lived experience. But again, as, as a business owner, um, I've had to do many functions myself. So things that go from proposals, contracts, quoting, systems, 
finance. I mean, the list truly goes on. Like if you're an entrepreneur going from zero to one as, as a one man band. Um, but I don't shy away from learning more, you know? So um, I think that that's really helpful too, like in the, in, in, the, in going deeper is just always being like super, super curious. And then I would say the very last thing, like, you know, on going deeper is that creating new outputs. Cause again, like I said earlier, it's, it's really important to push yourself to do one thing that is different or new or challenging for each project that you take on to keep it interesting. So creating new outputs require a paint it done type of mentality. And that's one of my favorite phrases from Brene Brown. So if you haven't read Dare to Lead, that's like the number one book that I would recommend for every single program manager. Um, but I like this paint it done mentality. And so there are many times that I walk into, you know, these new outputs that, that the team wants, and I don't even know what it's going to look like. So, you know, there's so many people that they're like, Hey, Rachel, like, so how does it need to look? How does it need to look like, like, what do I need to do? And truthfully, I only need, I only know the elements, right. That are going to make this work. And it's our job to kind of work with the team and coach them through that, like through the paint it done mentality. Um, and that's where having that, that deeper level of understanding is really important so that you don't have somebody again, throwing it over the wall to you. That's a very strong mindset for someone in operations because uh, you have plenty of things going on. Sometimes it it is like, you know, the most uh, resistance-free way where you can just throw something on the wall and hopefully it doesn't hurt, right? Like a lot of times <laughs> it doesn't have to work, but <laughs> as long as it doesn't hurt anything, let's go ahead. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, how you articulated again, like, you know, big fan of uh, that issue. Uh, and uh, let's go into all of this, right? Like when you put it all down, like in this granularity, it also means that like, you know, you need to set this expectation and for every project, like, you know, you can't start from scratch, right? So you need to have some kind of like, you know, framework or a template or something like, you know, even more. So how do you like, you know, uh, set that context to, because someone is going to come to operations with a new project and you're going to say, Hey, first do, go do this, a bunch of things and then come back to me, right? Like people really don't like, you know, uh, enjoy that exercise, but I think, uh, the outcome a lot of times might be more fruitful for them as well. They'll get more clarity. It makes everything easier. So how do you like, you know, go about choosing here? Like, like between template versus like a, like workshopping something new. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would say knowing when to use each is super important uh, because if you go down one path and it's not, appropriate for the other, you've gotten yourself into either recreating the wheel or um, you've got yourself into a situation where you're pigeonholing, um, you know, some innovation. And I never want to be in that spot. So um, I guess my, my kind of like go-to is that templates are for quick outputs, like decision documents, lists, slide compilation, et cetera. Like those are like quick outputs that can be done in like 30 minutes or less. Those can be templatized. Um, but I think workshopping though is, and that's where I get most of my joy. I don't know if you can tell that. Um, <laughs> but uh, workshopping is is where your in-depth and valuable outputs are, are 
is really important. Um, so that's things like training materials, playbooks, marketing messaging, pitch decks, basically any major deliverable. Um, these all deserve a meeting with your RACI determined stakeholders so that they can weigh in and that they can offer, you know, their, their input into it. Because truthfully, you know, there's, there's this, this phrase, we can just do this async, right? We'll just do this async. And there's a part of innovation that's missed out on when you do things that are async. So for those quick outputs, for those very transactional outputs, for those repeatable outputs, I do believe that templates are um, helpful while creating those in-depth and more like value-based outputs truly do deserve more time and deserve a workshopping type of mentality so that you can get everybody on board um, before you start creating. Otherwise, you do end up creating more rework for yourself in the end. So I kind of use it almost as like a streamlining um, approach is that I don't want to go back and rework this because, you know, we templatized it and these stakeholders did not like anything that we did over here. So if we sit down and get everybody in the room together and workshop it together, then we don't risk any of that. Um, I will say one more thing on templates, though. I think once you have successfully gotten to a point where an output can be templatized and you know that it's going to be used over and over again, I do believe that at that point when your people are trained, when your stakeholders are trained to be able to execute on that template in the way that they know is exemplary, then I truly believe that, yes, at that point you can templatize it. So when everybody's developed this big, you know, output and all those stakeholders know exactly what that output needs to look and feel like for something that's um, excellent in delivery, then then we can use that as as a as a template rather than a workshop. So that's my only like little caveat there. <laughs> Got it. Um, good. I think uh, that that was the crux of the discussion. Um, Let's head to like you know the closing questions for the podcast. I'm pretty sure you're also read a lot of stuff. So, are there any specific resources or books that you would recommend for someone to scale their career in operations? Right. Um. So, number one, I would say take a project management course. Um. Even if it's like in a Udemy or in a Coursera, trust me, your team will thank you a lot. Um. At least so that you can provide frameworks. Um, I oftentimes see many, many program managers or project managers that don't have any of that background, even in an informal sense. So trust me when I say that like is going to be your number one thing that's going to help you. Um, and then the second thing is I read a lot of leadership books. Um, I think that they're really helpful for someone in an influential role because in go-to-market ops, all of my stakeholders are typically not reporting to me and I've got to create buy-in and influence. So a couple ones that I really like are um, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown, uh, 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. That one's one that I'm working on right now, and I absolutely love it. Um, Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. And the last book here, this is the book that changed my life. It's called High Performance Habits, and that is by Brendan Burchard. Oh, yeah. I'll definitely have to like you know I'm gonna deep dive into all of them and probably reach out to you once I start reading them. <laughs> uh, 
it sounds very interesting and any final thoughts or wisdom for our listeners who aspire to be like you know what's one thing you would like them to take away in operations the number one thing is that your relationships are absolutely essential it's your responsibility to be transparent resolve conflict and support the team to cross that finish line if you own those relationships as much as or if not more than you own your own program or project that's where you're going to see success so i can't say enough about relationships and communication but always coming from a place of understanding and always coming from a place of this is not how it's supposed to be but this is how it is so how can we solve together to be innovative and ideate and create some meaningful impact and and i think uh, again you articulated it well right because most of the initiatives fail because uh, you and the gtm stakeholder are not aligned on the same direction when you are able to have like you know a strong relationship then basically you can get them to see your way and like you know and make it like you know a common way for both of you can align with each other and uh, yeah i think uh, especially for people early on in your career where they might think it's more about data more about process or operations i think relationships are the number one thing everything else comes <laughs> yeah i agree <laughs> final question like where can our audience connect with you to learn more about your work in operations or coaching etc uh you can always find me on linkedin um my uh my linkedin is rachel laksabana um you can also find uh my career coaching business the limit d n e um it stands for does not exist uh and then my coaching practice is on uh www.thelimitdne.org so those are where you can see me post more content um i write articles i write a lot of linkedin posts i post some videos um so you can kind of check out what uh, my philosophy is even more in detail um around some of the the concepts that we covered today in go to masters podcast thank you rachel it was wonderful hosting you today i sure as hell have got a big to do list after this podcast on how much of this learnings can i take and apply to growth and dimension uh, that brings to the end of today's podcast rachel thanks a lot for being part of it thank you and that's end of the episode folks i'm your host adit signing off on today's episode uh, see you in the next one